Can you hear me? <laughs> Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The greatest gift ever given to this world was wrapped in the womb of a little virgin girl. You're going to get a boot out of this one, you guys. It's been overseas. Your wife didn't, wasn't sure what you did while you were over there. <laughs> it's called full circle. When she asked him what happened to his wedding ring, since he didn't wear it anymore, he says, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I lost it somewhere in the war. Not revealing to her, he exchanged it for a girl's favor on that far distant shore. The wedding ring, a full circle of one's devotion and love. Now, 20 years later, here was a young woman standing at his door. To his surprise, she had his same blue eyes. And in her hand, she had his wedding band. She said, it's true, it's been a long time, but my mother said I should bring it back to you. The ring had gone full circle. What could he say? You may try to conceal your past, but you cannot hide your DNA. To our surprise, it may show up in somebody's eyes. Okay, I got one here. This is, this is one I wrote a long time ago. It's called Holes. The young evangelist was not very pleased at all that the board had assigned him to this tiny country church that was so small. As he parked his Corvette, went through the door, an old hound dog was sleeping in the floor. Hear that, Missy? The old gray-haired pastor was on his knees, bent over one of the pews, and the young evangelist couldn't help but notice he had holes in the bottom of his shoes. The young evangelist fulfilled his mission as he was required to do. His impression of the pastor in the church was one of disbelief and he could hardly wait to get up and leave. And so he said goodbye and went out into the street. The young man said, Lord, that church is really a sad example. It's true. The Lord said, son, that old man with holes in his shoes loves me much more than you do. The young evangelist began to weep. As the Lord also said, I not only had holes in my shoes, I had holes in my hands and feet. Thank you.
to share a few minutes about his family life. <coughs> and it's not very pretty, so hang on. Go ahead, John. Hold up my torch. Man, it's good to be back here, guys. Uh, I hadn't been here since the fundraiser, but it's real good to be back here. Uh, give it up for Richard. Give it up for our veterans. And give it up for Misfits. Thank you all for letting me share. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my family life growing up. I had a good mom and dad. I, I wasn't raised in the streets. Uh, I had three brothers. The first time I got high was 1973, and that was the biggest mistake I ever made. Um, once you get high, it, it changes everything up here. Um, it took away my dreams, my ambitions. Uh, I, I lost who I wanted to be. And I fell into this world of drugs. And the older I got, the more drugs I did. And one thing led to another. Uh, I'm a 20-year junkie, 17 years clean and sober. Uh, it has been the best 17 years of my life. Uh, I want to tell you about my brothers. My oldest brother, Jack, he died of AIDS. And if you've ever seen anybody die of AIDS, it's, it's a horrible, horrible disease. I don't hate homosexuals, but I pray for him. He was 210 pounds when he was alive. When he died, he was 85 pounds. Let that soak in for a minute. My other brother, Charles, he was the tough one in the family. Uh, he died an alcoholic. I hate losing brothers. I hate burying my brothers. Uh, I had a twin brother, Mike. He died in 2013. He died of a toxic effects of methamphetamine poisoning. I don't hate alcoholics, I pray for them. I don't hate drug addicts, I pray for them. Because they're not bad people, but it's a bad disease. That's the devil. The devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil stole my brothers, destroyed my life. I wound up going to prison. Uh, I was a meth cook for six years. Uh, we were cooking up four pounds at a time, so when the drug task force came in and kicked my door in, I went to jail. Five days later, I bonded out. And my excuse was, I need money to pay for a lawyer, so I went back to cooking dope. And that's as bad as doing drugs is cooking dope. It's just as addictive. Two months later, the drug task force kicked in my door again. And I watched a lot of my friends go to jail, get out and go back to jail. And I thought, man, how stupid you, could you guys be? Well, there I was, 
I woke up in the county jail in the same bunk, in the same cell, in the same pod two months later. And I woke up, I thought, how could this happen to me? The last thing I remember, I was a young kid dreaming about being an airplane pilot, being a doctor, being a policeman. And here I woke up again in the county jail. My kids didn't like me. My wife hated me. Went before the judge and he sentenced me to 15 years in prison. I was 45 years old at the time. The first time I went before the judge, he said 45 years. And I thought to myself, I don't want to die in prison. So I did a little plea bargaining. So he gave me 15 years with a year review on the first case. On the second case, he gave me another 15 years with a balance suspended upon completion of the drug treatment program in prison. From the county jail, we went to a maximum security prison, uh, Lexington, Oklahoma. 23-hour lockdown. I was scared. I'd, I'd been strung out for so long, I was about 110 pounds. I seen guys in there that had arms bigger than my belly, and I was scared. I was real scared. I didn't know what was going to happen in prison or if I was ever going to walk out again. I was in this cold cell, this little concrete cell. The toilet was made in with the sink and I had a little steel bunk with a little mattress about this thick. And I got on my knees and I prayed my guts out. I prayed hard. I'd never prayed like that ever before. I was brought up in the Catholic Church growing up. And a lot of their beliefs, I'm not putting them down. I just didn't believe in a lot of things that they believed in. And I dropped to my knees. And I was crying. I was hysterical. I thought I was going to die in prison. And there I was looking out this little bitty window. It was about this big. And I'm looking out across the prison grounds and all the razor wire that encircled this place. 20-foot chain link fences around this prison. Razor wire everywhere. And it was cold that day. It had sleeted the night before. And I could see the ice on the razor wire. And it was sparkling. And I thought, oh my God, what's, what's happened to me? Anyway, I dropped to my knees and I was praying. And I was crying. When I went before the people there at the maximum security prison, they said, no, you have two 15-year sentences back to back. And I told them that's not what I signed up for. I said I had two 15-year sentences to do at the same time, concurrent. No, that's not the paperwork they got. So anyway, I was praying and I was praying hard and I said, dear God, I don't want to die in prison. I know there's something else out there for me. God, I need a sign from you. 
and the tears running down my face and I was looking down across this prison yard and I had my eyes closed and all of a sudden I asked for a little sign from God all of a sudden I felt something warm on the end of my nose and I opened up my eyes and there was one beam of sunlight that had peeked through the clouds it was overcast as far as you can see and all of a sudden, here's this one little beam of sunlight hit me right here on the nose. Hallelujah. I went from crying to rolling around laughing because I asked for a little sign, and I got a miracle. The next day, they called me back in the office and said, we got your paperwork fixed up. You got two 15s to do at the same time. Well, I made it through prison just fine because I knew God had my back. He showed me that sign. I knew that I was going to live through prison, and I did. I ran into 10 people I knew from the streets while I was in there. That don't figure, does it? All of us meth heads in there. My mom died while I was in prison, and the Department of Corrections was kind enough to let me go see her before she died. I was in shackles and chains when they took me from Woodward, Oklahoma in the Panhandle over to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where my mom was. And I hopped out of the van, and I said, here. And they said, what? And I said, here, take these off. And they wouldn't take off the shackles and chains. I had a log chain around my arms, to my belly, to my feet, and they wouldn't take them off. And I pleaded with them, please, this will be the last time I ever see my mom. Well, they didn't take them off, so I had to go in and talk to my mom. She was laying there. She was, had cancer. It had spread to every part of her body. And there I was, shackled and chained in front of her. And that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. But uh, she died three days later. And that's something I'll never forget. I got out of prison 15 months later. And you would think that that was enough in my life to keep me straight. Well. I hadn't put on the full armor of God. I made it through prison. I thought, well, I made it through prison. I forgot that God got me through prison. I didn't have on the full armor of God. When I got out, I had three good days with my family and with my wife before I went to doing the methamphetamines again. It's because I didn't have the full armor of God. And that's very important. The temptation, the people. Three days out of prison, I got high again. And I was worse off the second time than I was before. I lost the house that we lived in. My kids wouldn't talk to me again. My wife left me. I was living in an abandoned trailer. 
That's when I hit rock bottom. Finally hit rock bottom. I had nothing. I lived in a trailer that had no electricity, no water. I was taking baths out of ice chest. I didn't have money for food, but I had money for dope. But I'd finally hit rock bottom. I went outside and dropped on my knees and I told God, I surrender. I can't do this anymore. Surrender is the word. When you think you've hit rock bottom, it's time for you to drop on your knees and surrender. That's one of my favorite words now, surrender. That was the last time I ever did methamphetamines. <sighs> Clean and sober, 17 years. My wife still lives with me. We've been together for 42 years. My kids love me. We're living in our own house again. I've got five grandkids and one great-grandbaby and another one on the way. And I've got all my kids to go to church with us. And that's not me. That's God. That's God working. And uh, since I was here last, I got into the prison ministry. And I don't remember if I told y'all last time I was here, I got a full pardon from the governor of Oklahoma. Seven drug-related offenses, felonies. I got a full pardon from the governor. Now I do prison ministry. I do five correctional facilities every month. And God, I love that. Because I see myself in a lot of these guys that, that walk into the chapels out there. I see myself. I even ran into a feller that I knew 25 years before. It was his fifth time going down. Anyway, that's what God can do. That was nothing that I did. I'm being obedient now, but it, it, it took me to surrender, a complete surrender, for God to come back, pick me up, dust me off, and put me where he wants me to be. And I, again, I want to thank each and every one of you guys, Miss Fitz for Jesus. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Patrick. I love you, buddy. God's people said we're going to have a little bit of a family reunion uh, with several people. Uh, this evening, and you'll understand uh, a little bit more about that as I, I share a little bit with you. You know, Jesus said you must be born again. Whatever happened to being born again? Red letters. Whatever happened to soul winners? Uh, whatever happened to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every, every person, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, discipling them, huh? Whatever happened to my fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. What are we doing? What are we doing? Fifty-four years ago, my third trip to prison, we had a, a Christian warden. His name was Noah Aldridge. Good first name. Noah. I like Noah. And he made sure 
1,200 federal inmates heard about Jesus every week because he knew what rehabilitation really was. Jesus on the inside, the Holy Spirit on the inside, the Word of God on the inside. All right? And I went to church for the first time in my life. Now listen, I'd never been to church. And here's the sad part about my 32 arrests. And I did a little over 10 years altogether since I was 12 years old. 12 years old in mental institution and then reformatory and on and on and on. Uh, very violent towards police officers. Okay? But by the time I'm 18, I'm institutionalized. When the Minneapolis police would arrest me and throw me in the back seat of a squad car, they thought they were taking me to the Hennepin County Jail. They weren't. They were taking me home. That's where I lived. I lived in jail. Between the ages of 15 and 18, I did two and a half years in the Hennepin County Jail. 19, I'm in a Mexican prison in Chihuahua, Mexico. And then a federal stretch in El Reno, Oklahoma, and then another federal stretch, okay? Uh, but institutionalized. I never looked beyond the concrete. I never looked beyond the bars. I never looked beyond the razor wire. I never looked beyond the snitch wire for another life. I was just caught in a trap, okay? But the warden had some programs going on, and they were all about Jesus. And one day, some of my buddies were going to the chapel, and uh, we're going to go to one of the warden's all-day programs from 8 in the morning till 8 at night. They, they brought, brought in a bunch of testimonies and uh, singers and preachers, and it was 12 hours. And I was only going to go an hour. I stayed all 12. And I heard about Jesus for the first time in my life. The sad part about my life, nobody ever witnessed to me. I never got a gospel track. I never got invited to church. No one ever said, hey, Rich, man, are you a Christian? And I really didn't know what a Christian was, okay? But that day, March 16th, 1969, okay, I started crying. Long story short, gave my life to Jesus, okay? Wow. Now, years ago, I'm in a Colorado federal prison. I do, I do prison ministries pretty much full-time. Motorcycle ministry also, jail ministry. And the chaplain met me at the gate at a Colorado maximum security prison, and he said, I want to introduce you to somebody. And his name was Frank Flying Horse. Off the Chippewa Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. About six foot six, broad shoulders, meanest man on the reservation. Two guys walked into a bar one night because nobody could whip him. They thought, well, two of us can whip him. He said, well, let's not mess up the bar. Let's go out the back door. It's snowing. It's cold. It's bitter. And a couple of minutes later, Frank came back in. He'd knocked them both out. They didn't come back in, probably too embarrassed, you might think. Well, they froze to death. And he got two manslaughter charges, seven years on each one. But somebody led Frank Flying Horse to faith in Christ. All right? And the chaplain said, he's the best soul winner I've got in this Colorado prison. He, he leads men to Christ every day, okay? Every day. Well, Frank got cancer. And it was bad. They sent him to Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Fed Med, Randy and I have been there together, okay? 
And if you got AIDS, you're sick, cancer, whatever, uh, that, you know, we've, we've got six of those in the United States, okay? And they said Frank there. Well, how many of you remember John Gotti? Come on. One of the most brutal godfathers ever. And he had a guy that worked for him. Uh, and they did 17 murders. And uh, they couldn't pin anything on John Gotti. They called him the Teflon John, Don, because nobody, nothing would stick to him. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. But they finally got him. And he had a bad heart, and he went to Springfield, Missouri. The chaplain there, Chaplain Riggard, uh, instituted a program. Are you ready for this? He took all the born-again inmates, not all of them, but most of them that had a good track record, and their talk matched their walk, and their watch, walk matched their talk, talk, watch, walk their back. I'll get it out once one of these days. But anyway, they were sold out to Jesus, all right? And he, he started a hospice program. Now, if I would have been in prison, and the chaplain said, Richard, uh, I want you to take John Gotti and care for him while he's dying. John Gotti wouldn't have respected me. I was just a street thug. And he'd seen hundreds of those, okay? Guess who took care of John Gotti in his dying moments? Frank Flying Horse. Six foot six, a murderer, killed two men. And John Gotti, the gangster, respected that. Now, here's what happened. Frank Flying Horse prayed with John every day, every day, every day. The chaplain went on vacation, okay? And uh, Frank was visiting with John Gotti. John Gotti died. And Frank Flying Horse died three days later. We don't know what happened. Now what if you get to heaven? And there's John Gotti. Huh? Well, how'd you get here? Well, just like you did. Trusted Jesus as my Savior. We don't know. But maybe one day we will know. All right? Witnessing for Christ. You know? We overcame Satan. All right? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's important to have a testimony. Well, Richard, you know, ten years ago. Now, how about this morning? Good morning, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I'm a Christian today, Jesus, because you first loved me. Now I can love you back. Praise you, Lord, and he inhabits the praises of his people, okay? Wow. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. And today I'm a giver. And somebody was talking about Walmart. Somebody taught me this years ago, and it's awesome. I've always got $100 bills on me, okay? My wife gives me a good allowance, all right? She was a high-end real estate agent for about 20 years, but I've always got $100 bills on me. But a guy taught me years ago, just before Christmas, uh, go to Walmart or a store like that and just walk around praying and find a single mom, maybe, with three or four kids looking at toys for Christmas. And say, here's something from Jesus. And guess what happens? People start crying. Moms start crying. Kids start crying. Wow. 
Now, if you don't have a $100 bill, try a 20 Go through Walmart praying and find somebody that maybe pretty raggedy clothes, kind of dressed like Randy dresses. <laughs> you know? And uh, just see what God does, man. It's so awesome, you know, to serve Jesus. And a while back, I got to thinking, Lord, like the Philippian jailer and your household, when I got saved, the first person that came to my mind was my mom, 40-year Vatican I alcoholic. 40 years, my mom. My grandma, she owned six, six liquor stores in the same nightclub for 21 years. And she, and she made her money off of other people's misery. And God said, when you get out of prison, you go visit them. I started writing them letters right away. My mom didn't respond. My grandma did. Got out of prison, I led my grandma to Jesus. She was easy. You got family that's not in yet? God answers prayer. He's not just concerned about you. He's concerned about yours. Amen? In-laws, outlaws, you know, by marriage, whatever, okay? He wants the whole family in. I took my grandma to a church, and I gave my testimony in Frederick, uh, Wisconsin. And on the way, we were going to go eat, and she was... We, she was in the car with me, I, I, and I got hot rods all the time. And this was a, you know, 55 Buick I had uh, painted, and it was pretty slick, mag wheels, loud pipes, you know. And I said, Grandma, are you a real Christian? Now listen to what she said. No, son, I've only been a baptized church member for 69 years. The cleansing is not in the tub. The cleansing is still in the blood of Jesus that cleanses us us from every sin, okay? And Grandma got saved. Wow. She said, I, I've done everything the Lutherans told me to do, but they didn't tell me I needed to accept Jesus as my Savior. And Grandma became a fanatic. She really did. And she passed five years later. Her, her memorial was a joy. My mom took 14 years. She'd cuss me out. She was always... My, my, I was an abused kid as a little boy, and my mom was the abuser. And I learned vulgar, vulgar, vulgar language that I used on a lot of people over the years. Learned it from my mom. She had a horrible mouth. And uh, she'd cuss me out, uh, wouldn't kiss me, wouldn't even shake my hand. And I kept praying, kept praying. And Well, short, you know, long story short, listen to this. One day I went to see her, and I've been sending her Catholic material from born-again Catholics. See, there are born-again Catholics. Amen. And born-again, born you know, priests and born-again nuns and born-again born Catholic laity. And I picked up their books and their gospel tracts, uh, just like you and I have. And I said, oh, I'm going to start sending this to my mom. From your Catholic friends, that made the difference. She said, you get to heaven your Baptist way. I'll get to heaven my Catholic way. I said, Mom. There's not a, a Catholic way. There's not a Baptist way. We've got to come by the book. What does the book say, Mom? Went to see her one day, and she hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, i got a church I'm speaking at in Minnesota and one in Wisconsin, and I've got a prison in Wisconsin. She said, oh, good. Has there been any conversions? 
That was a brand new word in her vocabulary. I said, Mom, what happened to you? Well, all those gospel tracts and the books you've been sending me from Catholic people, I've given my life to Jesus. All right? All right? Pray amen. You know, share your testimony. Everybody's got a testimony. And I'll close with this. A lady at a, at a conference one time, interdenominational conference, a lady came up to me and she said, I, I was a missionary in China for uh, 30 years, and I'm back home now, and I'm a member of a, of a Lutheran church, uh, Missouri Senate, and if I can get you behind our pulpit, would you come? I said, woo, 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 woo. That's like saying sick them to a bulldog. I said, sister, you get an invitation, I'll be there. She got an invitation. And I got to share my testimony at a Lutheran church, Saren Lutheran Church in Ashland, Wisconsin. She said, there's only seven of us here that are born again. The pastor is lost. Now, not only was he lost, he was a member of the Key Club. Some of you, anybody know about the Key Club? Way back. You put a bunch of keys in a bucket, and it's a wife-swapping club. And then you go to your motel room. And the pastor was a member. Okay? And I shared my testimony, and believe it or not, seven people came to the altar and got saved. One of them was a Sunday school director. Now, don't you think that helps have a saved Sunday school director? All right? I like to be at the door and greet people and talk to people. So I'm at the door. Church is over. And uh, here comes a lady. And I know if you've been in the ministry a long time, you've probably seen some of these people. She was bent over, about 60 years old, and she was coming straight for me. And smoke was coming out of her ears, and her fingernails were growing out by the inch by a minute. And, buddy, her nostrils, man, were just snorting fire. And she was headed right for me. And I said, oh, my God, help me, God, help me. And she said, I want to ask you a question. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, why would you come to a, a Lutheran church and preach that Baptist stuff, that junk? I said, what Baptist stuff? She's that born-again junk. I said, same thing I told my mom. I said, you know, that's not Baptist, that's Bible. That's Bible. And lady, you need Jesus. Now, here's, here's the closing part. This is what you need to hear, okay? She said, well, how do you know you're saved? I said, I was there when it happened. <laughs> Nobody can take that away from you. They can't. It's yours. It's your testimony. You know when you accepted Jesus. You might have been 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15 years old. You know, my mom was 69 when she gave her life to Jesus. And uh, I did her memorial service um, when she was um, 75. But she had about six alcohol-free years. She stayed in the Catholic Church. She said, all my friends are going to hell. And I want to be a shining light. And I got a letter at the funeral home to my son Richard upon my death. And I opened it up, and it said, my mom wrote this. She said, son, here's what I want you to say at my memorial service. And it was all, all scriptures on the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from every sin. So I'll see my mom, okay? 
grandmas, they're already up there. I got two little grandsons from the Oklahoma City bombing. They're up there. Can't wait to see Jason Colton again, okay? And uh, Phyllis and I have a blended family. When I met her, I was a single dad with two kids, and she was a single mom with two kids. And we ended up, we've been married 37 years, and, and we've just got one that's not in yet. And he's been 20 years on the street, an addict. Pray for Daniel. Pray for Daniel. 20 years on the street. But do you see what happened to him? What happened to me? You know, some of us get thrown away on that human junk pile. But God has an uncanny way of coming alongside that human junk pile and picking some of us up. Getting the dust off us and, and, and shows us His love and we get saved, all right? Born again. Red letters. Jesus said it. Be a part of that. I brag on misfits for Jesus everywhere I go. Because if Jesus was standing here in the flesh, guess what? He'd be doing this ministry, what you're doing. All right? Amen. What do you need in your life? You have not because you ask not. It's not hard, folks. The Scripture says you have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. That's God. What do you need in your marriage? What do you need uh, in your own personal life, your, your, your kid's life, extended family's life, grandkid's life? Everybody in our family except their little, little ones coming up are born again. And between my wife and I, we had 70 arrests. She had 40 arrests out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And two trips to federal prison, okay? Wow. And a lady on the, she lived in a cul-de-sac and she walked her little poodle every day and a lady across the street started witnessing to her. And I remember her telling me I hated that witch. I'd look out my window to see if she was out there and if she wasn't, I'd take my little poodle and walk. And she'd come running out the door, hey Phyllis! And one day Phyllis went to church with her and ended up giving her life to Jesus. And in that church three years later she was a secretary. And I'm the evangelist that ran off with the secretary, okay? You hear those stories, all right? Let's stand to our feet. What do you need? Barry, Randy, others in this church that minister, what do you need? Let's take it to God in prayer. You have not because you ask not. Are you born again? Those were red letters from Jesus. Are you saved? Are you sharing your testimony? That's yours. Nobody can argue with it. Maybe you're a visitor here and it's time to plant yourself. Not in a chair, but in service for the King. All right. Here's some folks right here. They'd like to pray with someone tonight. What do you need? You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Amen. Come on. All four of these people would love to pray with somebody. Pray for you. Pray with you. What do you need? Amen. Come on. Got one. How about two? Where's number two? You need some help tonight. Come on. Do you know that you know that you know because the Bible tells you so that you're born again? Any doubts? Let's get rid of it. 
it's not worth it. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that He will keep me against that day. Come on. Number two, where are you? Got a monkey on your back? Got something you need to get rid of? Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Amen. Got two. Is there number three? Number three here tonight. Jesus was a curse word in my vocabulary for many years, as God was also. I had no idea. If you would have asked me 55 years ago, Richard, who's Jesus? Well, I don't know, some guy that got killed, and I don't need a dead God. But on March 16, 1969, I changed my mind. I heard the good news, and the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, began to draw me. And I'm weeping, 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 weeping. Alligator tears down my face. And I cried for about a half an hour because I saw Jesus that day in that prison revival meeting. And a Baptist deacon was standing right in front of me and he said, Richard, what do you need? And I'm crying. I said, I don't know, man. I'm institutionalized. I'm going to die in prison if something doesn't change. I was violent towards police officers, and I'll get killed one of these days by a cop. And I, I guess I need Jesus. I'm a broken man. But see, I heard that day that Jesus came to fix broken people, broken by sin. And I said, I guess I want to asked Jesus into my life. He read John 3, 16 and 17 to me. Took me down that Roman road, Romans 3, 23, Romans 5, 8, uh, Romans 6, 23, Romans uh, 10, 9 through 13. I found out I was a whosoever. Whosoever, whosoever will may come. Wow. And that day, I gave my life to Jesus. And I had a Damascus Road conversion. Randy? You guys love Richard? You love Patrick? You love Jesus, right? So uh, we, we thank you, Richard, for all the years of being our friend, being our brother, and we, we, we look forward to many more. We love you, man. You're stuck with us. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, we're going to have some food. You guys are, I hope you're planning on hanging out. It's Crock-Pot. Uh, Earl, we love you too, man. Aren't they a cute little couple? Aren't they? Praise God. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. Not, but not only here, Lord. You're working. You're, the scriptures say my Father is always working. And we know that you're always